Welcome to Happily Ever After is just the beginning. Keeping your relationship not just together, but happy, and we mean truly happy, is part art and part science. You've come to the right place. Here's your host, Leslie Dorries. You know, over many years working with many different couples, I'm really no longer surprised by the ones who struggle. I'm actually surprised by the couples who don't. And you might think that's because the couples who actually come to see me are the ones having difficulties. But to be honest, I would actually stake my career that more people should be seeking help than actually do. And unfortunately, I think this is in the process of getting worse, not better. And that's because what people want out of marriage, out of a relationship, is changing, and most couples just really aren't prepared. And I do believe that both men and women want a relationship based in love, support, and connection, but they struggle with how to make this happen. And a big part of this, I believe, is lack of knowledge. But some of it is actually based on real biological differences between men and women, and these differences just get intensified by the way we're raised. So... The factors that make a marriage work require that couples find ways to bridge these divides with neither one feeling like they are giving too much. So how do we do this delicate dance? That's the question. And my guest, intentionally intimate relationship coach Kyle Benson, is here to hopefully provide some answers. So Kyle... Welcome back to the show. I'm so happy to have you back on again, especially to talk about this really interesting topic. Thank you for having me. I'm excited as well. So, you know, you wrote a recent article called Emotionally Intelligent Husbands Are Key to a Lasting Marriage that you just kind of tackled this subject head on. So, you know, emotional intelligence is this thing that's kind of, it's been around for a while, um, it's starting to get a little bit more play, especially in pe- how people can be successful in all aspects of your life. But what exactly is emotional intelligence, and why is it important for healthy relationships? Yeah, that's a great question. So I view emotional intelligence as the ability to read, understand, and express emotions. And so emotional intelligence, when you look at it in a relationship, is a partner to be able to see the other partner sad, angry, or upset, and actually be able to attune to them, which is to be able to connect to them, to say, hey, I see what you're feeling this way, and to really kind of step into that partner's world. Um, And when couples are able to do that, it actually kind of, allows them to de-stress, it allows them to express their emotions, partners feel, both partners feel really accepted, um, and it's just a, it's a really connecting thing that allows couples to, I think, flourish. But isn't that, I mean, when you're talking about this, and especially attuning, I mean, yeah, it's a lot of fun to attune to our partners when they're happy and joyful and life yeah. is going good. It's a, it's scary to try to stay with them when they're upset, especially if they're upset by something you've done. Exactly. And it's, and it's hard. And it's, and it's really hard to sit there 
and watch their partner be angry or sad or hurt, you know, in particular where it's something that you were involved in. Right. Uh, and that's where it takes a lot of kind of this, this intelligence to go, okay, I, you know, our relationship is important. I got to listen to my partner. I got to understand what's going on. And we also have another kind of barrier that comes up too is there's, in our culture, there's such a push for being positive and, and uh-huh. you know, getting through the negative emotions, right? We actually have taken natural human emotions and categorized them into good and bad emotions. Yep. And, and what we want is, yeah, like you said, it's so easy to be happy and joyful and loving and caring. And, and oh, like when your partner's like that, great. It's such a great time. But then when <laughs> turn into the sadness, into the anger, into the fear, all of a sudden, the other partners, they kind of freeze. Um, and I know in my own journey, there was a time when I think I was back in college and, and my partner, she was bawling her eyes out over something. And as a man, I was kind of just, I felt paralyzed. I was like, how do I, what do I do? What, what, what do I, I'm not sure what these tears mean. I don't know. Right. <laughs> I just felt completely lost. And at that time, I, I did not know how to handle, how to be comforting, how to be soothing to my partner at that time. Right, especially going back to what I said, you know, tears make men real, can make men really uncomfortable. Oh, yes. Because a lot of times they're just, they were told from the time that they were little, you know, crying is bad. It's like, (laughs) you're not supposed to cry. So when they're confronted with somebody who's crying, it's no wonder they don't know what to do. Right, exactly, and it's and it's culturally conditioned into them. And, and as a guy, we've, I mean, for whatever reason, how we've been socialized, we've kind of split also the emotions too. Mm-hmm. Guys are supposed to be more illogical. They're supposed to be, you know, problem solvers. They got to do this thing, and and ironically, they end up shutting out the part of themselves that is really emotional. And actually, I believe adds a lot of meaning to life. Um, and and that when that part gets numbed out, when that part gets shut down, and and doesn't get the emotional vocabulary or the emotional experiences that you know, let's say a woman might have because she is allowed, you know, maybe to be more emotional considering the cultural mm-hmm. dynamic. You know, the guy kind of gets lost when he walks into this emotional realm. Well, and you bring up an interesting point that anybody who's taken an antidepressant will recognize because. When people take antidepressants, yes, they stop feeling so bad, but they also stop feeling so good. And people don't understand that you can't selectively shut down emotions. If you either shut down the harder ones, um, then you're going to shut down the, the ones we want, the joy, the love, the happiness, if you're shutting down the hurt, the frustration, the fear. Exactly. And that's what a lot of people is they, they actually cut off because they want to cut off from the bad stuff, but it also numbs the good stuff. And Brene Brown talks about this. She, you know, she talks a lot about shame and emotions. Mm-hmm. And she talks about how, you know, when people cut off the, 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 you know, their shame or they cut off from their anxiety or their fear or their sadness, they actually numb even the joy and the other things that come with the relationships or with their life. Right. And, and unfortunately, I think we've done a very poor job of inviting men into that realm. I think we're getting somewhat better at it, but 
it's still so fraught with so many minds. You know, it's like, how do we do this? How is it okay? And I think we've given men permission in certain areas. You know, it's like you watch. Um, in fact, we might actually see it this weekend with the Super Bowl. Um, you know, we might. It's okay for men to show their emotions when you know they're heavily invested in a in a game. Which sometimes you're standing outside. It's like it's a game, but it's more than that. They've put their time, their energy, their heart into this thing, and. You know, then it's over and one team's happy and the other team's devastated. But mm-hmm. we seem to be okay as long as they don't stay in that too long. Right, right. And, again, that comes back to the, the cultural rules and the things that culture or socialization has. It's like, okay, you can be emotional when it comes to competitive sports, but you can only be emotional for a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, if something bad happens, you instead of being sad or really disappointed, you you should, as a guy you need to be angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's acceptable. But for you to right. be crying, yes. well then you're you're a wimp or you're a wussy or right. So there's all these messages that really, what I would consider, oppress the emotional side of of a man. Okay. So you know, were talking about the importance of being able to access emotions, and I know that. You know, a lot of times I get met with this idea. Um, the guys are like, "Well, my my wife has to explain, you know, the feelings. If there's not a logical explanation for the feelings, then then they're not important, or they're, <laughs> you know." And you actually kind of bring this in in the article when you mention this, and when I read this, it really surprised me about. of marriages will implode when a man is unwilling to share power in his marriage. And I think that kind of this idea that we're talking about, about being emotionally intelligent and being accessible is sort of what you're talking about when you're talking about sharing power. Is that the right idea? Yeah, it is. So, for example, like one partner once you know, they're having family over, and they're kind of feeling a little bit overwhelmed. They need some support, and the husband in that instance goes, nope, I can't help. I got this thing I got to go do. Um, in that instance, it's just like, you know, it's my way or the highway mm-hmm. compared to a more relational stance, which is, yeah, that's a lot. Um, okay, you know, I can do this for a little bit, and then I got to go to work and do work on this thing, but then when I get back, I'll restructure and I'll do this thing to help you out, you know, and, and there's that's a much different response. And, nope, you're kind of on your own. Um, I'm going to do this thing. Good luck. Um, yeah, and then and a lot of times what women will do, speaking as one, is we just shoulder it and then we just get really ticked, <laughs> which is not helpful either. Um, and then we don't ask the next time. So what you're talking about sounds a lot like a negotiation. It's not he has to not do something that is important, like go to work or do whatever, but it's about more the willingness to – step in and I don't want to say help because I don't like that word, but but be a partner, um, shoulder some of the responsibility. Right. And that's just it. Is it's, I mean, if you look at a couple, they're pretty much a team, right? And, and when one partner, uh, you know, isn't honoring the team, 
the mm-hmm. team kind of struggles. And so it's not so much, right, about just dropping everything and going, well, okay, whatever you say I'm going to do, that's mm-hmm. not really excellent, but it's saying I have my needs and your needs are just as important as my needs. How do we make this work? And that's the stance that, that I see with couples that builds trust, it builds this commitment, and it builds really a loyalty that makes the relationship really important. And it makes the other partner who has felt like they haven't had a say, who has felt disrespected, has felt like their feelings haven't mattered, it makes them feel really cherished and important. Right, and that comes down to understanding what a, the dynamics of a relationship are, because I think you know, not it's not that all guys have played sports because that's that's a you know. But if you've ever been on a team, and, and you can see it even if you haven't played, if you just watch, or even at work, there might be somebody who's just out for themselves, and you can see that, how awful that is all the way percolating all the way through. Whether it's your work team or a sports team, or even your home life, it's. You can't it, – it doesn't work if one person is only focused on themselves. Right, exactly. So this is Happily Ever After. It's just the beginning on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Leslie Dorries, and I'm speaking today with intentionally intimate relationship coach Kyle Benson on how emotional intelligence, especially in men, can protect and promote a healthy marriage. And, you know, if this is a challenge in your marriage, I invite you to learn more about this really important factor that's, you know, taking place both in our personal and professional success. And, you know, if it's something that you really struggle with, I invite you to take a moment and either send me an email or give me a phone call and take advantage of my Be a Hero Husband breakthrough session. You can reach me at Leslie, L-E-S-L-I, at foundationscoachingnc.com. That's L-E-S-L-I at F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N-S, coaching, N is in Nancy, C is in charlie.com, or you can reach me by phone at area code 919-924-0463. So back to talking with Kyle and the importance of emotional intelligence in a relationship, um, which we, we're talking about, and it's an important topic. So I know that one of the challenges for men to reach out and accept their wives' influences that they kind of feel ganged up on. And I've heard some pretty harsh things from the wives that I work with. And, you know, oftentimes men feel that their options are just to hunker down and be quiet, the just learn to say yes, dear rule of marriage, which I hate, or they lash out in defensiveness and anger. So how can becoming more open to influence be made more inviting? I think it starts, that's a great question, um, and often one of the things I think a lot of people are not aware of is we often want to blame our partner for the problems and not see how we influence their reactions, right? A mm-hmm. couple is, you know, how they're dancing all the time. And so when one partner steps one way, it causes the other partner to step another way, um, and it's this constant dance that a couple is in. And so, you know, when a partner feels unheard, when a partner feels like they're not important, sometimes they escalate conflict just as a way to get their partner to pay attention to it. They might get yep. mean, might. Uh, and they're you know, done that. <laughs> yeah. 
up, and they might intensify their voice. And the hope is, well, then they'll finally pay attention. But any criticism is not constructive. It is actually pretty hurtful. And what happens is when your partner feels personally attacked or when they feel, you know, when you call them a slob for not cleaning the house or you, you know, attack some form of their character, they're more likely to then be defensive than they are to actually go, oh, you're right, let's work on this. Uh-huh. And so, you know, it's not, you know, a lot of people talk about, oh, the active listening model. Well, the partner who's listening just really needs to listen better. Uh, that's not true. The speaker also has to have some rules on how to speak well so it actually helps the partner in listening. And so if you're going to make a complaint, to really make that complaint by expressing your feelings about a very specific issue and expressing a positive need out of what the problem is instead of, well, you do this, you know, you never do this, you always are, you know, this way. And that type of thing is actually going to more often shut your partner down or make them feel really attacked, which will then cause them to be more defensive. Right. Or then there's the third thing, which, you know, they become the lawyer and find the one time when the always never statement isn't true and then it just wipes out right, exactly. what the purpose is. But you know, you're making an interesting point. And one of, you know, I, I believe it was Terry Real in his um, The New Rules of Marriage that I was reading about this. And he says, you know, one of the best ways is not to criticize or complain, but make a request it instead, which when I read that, I thought, this is great because I'm now offering a solution to whatever it is that's bothering me. And there's a couple pieces of that that I find very helpful in that. Number one, I actually have to stop and think beyond, I don't like this situation, and move to what do I want instead. Exactly. And then I can approach, you know, my my partner and say, you know, remember that thing that happened on Tuesday night? Well, I'm wondering if next time we could do it this way (laughs) as opposed to, you know, the usual blame game. And, you know, most people when, you know, they, they may say, oh, I can't do that, but what if we do this instead? You know, then at least we're having a conversation about the solution and not just getting wrapped up in what inevitably turns into a blame game of, I didn't say that. Yes, you did. No, I mean, it's like, and you sit there, it's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, and that's just it is, is even sometimes you'll – my partner will say, well, I feel really disrespected. And I'm like, okay, well, what would respect look like for you? You know, how could your, your partner show you that type of respect? Or what, mm-hmm. what would, what does your, how does, how could your partner love you better? And they kind of go, well, he shouldn't do that. And I'm like, okay, like, okay. but what could he do? What are the actions he could take? Give him a roadmap to your heart. And what would that look like? And sometimes they just kind of look at me with a blank face. They're like, I don't know. And exactly. Which, how can somebody give you something if you don't even know what it is you want? Exactly. And that's what I tell my clients. I said, okay, so if I were sitting in your kitchen with a check, with, you know, with a, um, a checklist, and what behaviors would I be seeing that shows, oh, I feel respected, oh, I feel loved, oh, I feel important. Give me, give me something with verbs in it. So that, <laughs> yeah. And, and it is. Sometimes I go, oh. Yeah, it's so and it's so important because that's how you're gonna actually get your partner to change. It's not, it's not this. Oh, you're the, you're the problem. It's 
hey, can you behave a little bit differently towards me? And here's actually how I feel loved. And it comes from a place of kind of this, hey, I'm teaching you how to love me better compared to this, well, now you're in detention and you're this really bad person who can never get anything right. The first, the first way of really teaching and inspiring your partner to love you better is going to work way better than punishing them for not knowing what to do. And I think Stan Tackney talks about this. He goes, when we come into relationships, we're not really, you know, sure what we're doing. We're, we're, we're not experts on each other. That process happens by partners teaching each other how to love each other better. And that's a process that never stops. No, never. Because we don't stay static. And I think that this is one of the challenges um, when we don't continue to be curious and continue to pay attention. And, you know, and part of this, I think, it, the longer we're with somebody, there's a more inclination to make assumptions about, oh, this is what my partner's thinking, this is what my partner's feeling. We act on those assumptions, and then they can come true. I mean, it's like... I hear this all the time where somebody you know, will say, well, they keep telling me I'm upset about something and I keep telling them I'm not until I then get upset about it because they keep telling me I am. And it's kind of like you know, it's helping them step back and see that pretty ineffective pattern of behavior. Right. Well, that, it even goes down to like affection and continuing to know your partner to ask questions. Right. Uh, Gottman's research, you know, he did 40 years of research on couples and what he found is the foundation of a stable and strong marriage is really a strong friendship. Mm -hmm. And it really comes to how well partners know each other. And when partners know each other, when they understand each other, when they become experts on each other and continue to learn how to be experts on each other, then they have this basis of, oh, well, okay, you're, you matter. Or you know, it's this place where it's much easier to actually accept influence too um, because you feel like, oh, my partner cares about me. There's this trust. There's commitment. There's a much higher chance of both partners feeling really cared for, which makes it much easier to kind of turn towards each other in moments of discomfort or conflict and actually work through it. Right. And, and so when I hear couples, one of the hardest things I hear from couples is that, is that my partner's trying to manipulate me or my partner's trying to control me. And, and I, I want to make sure that we're being clear that being influenced by your partner isn't the same thing as being controlled by them. Um, and I think that that's where being able to freely talk about who you are what you like, what matters to you, and know that it's being heard is really important and that it's not, oh, my partner's saying this because they want to control me. Right. Well, it goes from a, a place of, you know, are they controlling you or are they really just trying to teach you how to be a better partner for them? Um, and that's, I mean, and the control part, I believe, comes a lot from childhood experiences or earlier experiences mm -hmm. where they've been in relationships with people who didn't really respect their opinion, who kind of just said, no, you got to follow my demands. That's the only way this thing's going to work. And so when they experience that in their adult relationships and they start to get even a request, they might see it as a demand or, or even their partner who 
has not been felt heard or felt listened, they start to actually become really demanding. And so then that partner is like, well, now I'm being controlled. I don't have any say. I can't say, you know, I can't negotiate for my side. I just got to give in completely. Um, and so it's actually a two-way street. You know, they think, oh, well, my partner's just going to control me. Well, you're also not quite being very clear and honest about your feelings of being controlled and, and not opening up the conversation. They're like, hey, like, when you say this, I kind of feel really controlled, and I don't think that's your intention, but can we talk about how to maybe work this out a little bit better? So that brings up something that you mentioned in the article. You talk about emotion coaching. So what exactly is that? Yeah, emotion coaching, you know, there's there's two different routes. There's emotion dismissing and there's emotion coaching. So emotion dismissing is the partner's sad and it's like, oh, you should just cheer up. Or the partner's <laughs> angry. Or the partner's Suck really it up, angry. suck it up. It's not that bad. <laughs> exactly. You know, or the partner's angry and saying, you know, oh, well, you should just go get over it. Or it's not that big of an issue. Or you should stop being angry. Right? Those things, in a way, are saying your feelings, the feelings you have right now, are not real. They don't matter. And you, it, there's no point in you having them. Mm-hmm. Uh, which makes the partner really feel criticized. It makes them feel unaccepted. It makes them feel unloved. And so emotion coaching is the opposite, where you actually listen to the emotions and you explore what's underneath them. What's, why, does a part, why is someone angry? Why is someone sad? And let's ask, you know, what are, the te- what are those tears about? What is, you know, what's, what do you long for in that anger or what's been blocking you in that anger? Um, and really start to take that opportunity of your partner's negative feelings as a, as a, a profound moment of connection. And I can see how it would be easier to do if somebody is sad or maybe afraid. But anger is a really hard one. And what do you recommend? Because, you know, anger is scary. It's scary for the person feeling it, and it's scary for the person on the other side of it. Right. Well, and this, and this is another important thing is, you know, we have our feelings, you know, we have our anger, our sadness, but we also have meanings behind those feelings. Right. You know, if we have feelings about our feelings. And we have feelings about our partner. Um, and so when our partner is angry, we might go, oh, you know, we might find ourselves shutting down. We might find ourselves numbing out. And this kind of comes from our own experiences of those emotions probably earlier on in our lives. And then those emotions kind of get brought into our relationships. And it's, you know, so when our partner is angry, we try to shut them down because when our parent was angry, it was explosive and we felt out of control and we felt helpless. Um, Whereas another family, anger was completely loud, and it was this, oh, I'm just really upset. Um, I think also with anger, it's important for anger to be expressed in a healthy way mm-hmm. rather than an attacking way. There's a very big difference between, you know, being angry and being abusive. Um, it's okay to be angry and say, you know, I'm really pissed off or I'm really angry at this or I'm this way compared to taking that out on your partner. Um and then when you're actually listening to it, I believe, and this kind of goes back to Dr. Gottman's research, underneath their anger is really kind of there's a longing. Um, and it's to ask yourself, you know, what's the longing underneath that anger? And to start to seek, what do they actually want? What is this anger protecting? You know, I see the anger. When I look at anger, I always imagine it's like there's, there's a castle, and in the castle is the partner's heart. And then outside the castle are all these knights who are just trying to fight and just trying to protect that heart. 
and so I was asked partners, what, are, what do you think they're actually protecting? What are they fighting for? Um, and it's a good way for partners to go, oh, well, you know, I think they just long to be loved. I long for them to have more, I think they long to have more time with me. Um, and it's an important shift that gets partners to be like, oh, there's a purpose behind their anger. Their anger is actually a sign of something they need. Right, which sounds really good in the abstract and really hard to do if the anger is being directed at people. And this is why I think it's really important in this whole conversation about emotional intelligence and learning how to deal with these emotions that, by the way, we all have. I, you know, I'm, I haven't met a robot yet. Now, I've met some people who have been really, really good at burying their emotions, but they're always there because they're going to come out one way or the other, and it's, you know, it's much, much better for them to come out in a healthy way than in a, in a destructive way. And... It, yeah, but we need to learn, I think both men and women need to learn how to be more inviting. And I use, I use two um, words that I think can be really helpful. It's like curiosity and confusion. <laughs> it's like, help me understand or tell me more about. And because, you know, that can help. You know, de-escalate, and I think that's one of the first things is that people have to understand that you can't you can't have these kinds of conversations if somebody's emotionally flooded. Both people have to calm down first, but then we have to have the courage to come back and say, "Hey, I really want to know what happened last Saturday night." Right, right, and that's the emotion component. It's this. Tell me more about that. Why is this so important to you? Help me understand. Right? And that, as you said, it de-escalates conflict as well because the partner goes, oh, wait, this emotion matters. Oh, wait, my partner wants to hear me. My partner mm-hmm. wants to listen to me. And then they can start to go, well, now i got to explain why this is so important to me. i got this opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, when that opportunity is given, most people will take that. Right, and then there's another important factor to remember that we don't have to justify or defend why we feel a certain way. The fact that we feel a certain way means we feel a certain way, and being able to explore it a little bit better, a little bit more openly, is the way to find a way to deal with it as opposed to having it be dismissed, which is terribly frustrating and terribly disrespectful no matter who's doing it. Right. So, Kyle, can you tell people where they can learn more maybe about emotional intelligence or the Gottman Institute or you? Or <laughs> because you have some very, you have some very thoughtful um, information out there that's really, really helpful. Yeah, the best place to kind of read more about the stuff I write about and kind of learning about emotional intelligence is on my, my blog, and that's at kylebenson.net. Um, my other recommendation would be to look at the Gottman Institute. As I mentioned a few times, there's doctors John and Julie Gottman. Uh, John spent 40 years of research studying thousands of couples, and his research is very different because he just put couples in a room and really observed, you know, the couples that lasted versus the couples mm-hmm. who kind of fought and actually ended up divorcing. Um, and so then he took that and he created a model from that. 
and so you know in that he learned a lot about you know how do you understand how do you cope with sadness how do you cope with anger how do you cope with you know your partner's fear mm-hmm. and really connect with them and a great book especially if you're married is the seven principles for making marriage work and he has a chapter on accepting influence which is really important he also has a chapter on what he calls turning towards um mm-hmm. and that is when your partner's angry and upset, you really want to turn towards them and say, you know, why is this so important? Or, or gosh, you're, you know, this seems like it's really important to you. You know, tell me what's going on or tell me how you're feeling. And that is going to actually connect you guys a lot more than saying, well, you shouldn't be angry. You need to tone it <laughs> <Yes>. down. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and it's important, I think, as you mentioned at the, this, the start of this call, is it's really about starting to get education. Um, and a lot of couples – a lot of them, they, they don't accept influence or they don't turn towards, not because they're terrible people, but because they don't understand how valuable it is. Um, often the relationships and even in these conflicts, it's the seemingly unimportant moments that are often the most important of all. Um, and when couples realize how powerful the mundane, the little angers or the sadness and the expressions are, they actually start to build a much healthier and more connected relationship. And that's the good news is that, Couples can actually learn to do this, and that's, you know, I say that while there are general guidelines for what makes a marriage successful, as we're talking about with Dr. Gottman's work, what any particular marriage looks like is dependent on the two people in it, and for it to work, it has to work for both of the people. If it's only working for one, it's going to implode eventually, and the solution is finding ways to ensure that both people can express their thoughts, feelings, and needs. And as we've been talking about today, building your emotional intelligence is one way to do that. In fact, it's a really good way. So allowing for mutual influence is another, and that's part of this whole dance of marriage that we're talking about. Letting go of the need for power and embracing connection is really the way to happily ever after. So I invite you to investigate that, to keep listening to the show, and until next week, stay loving.